Hey, so I'm here with Reed Walmack of uh, he's head of client services at Swan Bitcoin. Uh, Reed, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on. This you're the third guest, and uh, yeah, super excited. So anyway, um, so maybe to start, we could just talk a little bit about your Bitcoin journey. What led you to Bitcoin? How'd you get into it? Who orange pilled you? Maybe. Certainly. We'll do, we'll do the long story. Okay. Uh, went to college and all my friends coming out of college went to Wall Street. Um, went to like a, a fancy private school in the Northeast and they all went to Wall Street. Um, I recognized that something was pretty broken with Wall Street. It was like real corrupt. And so I was like, I do not want to go to Wall Street myself. So I spent the next four years effectively in the woods. I was like, I, something is wrong with business in general. The best way that I can handle it is just go spend time in the woods. So I was a wilderness therapy guide for a couple of years. Um, I taught environmental science at tiny schools in remote locations for a couple of years. Uh, and then summers, I was leading outdoor trips and did that from 2014 through 2018, essentially. Um, so skipped the whole bull market, like was essentially unaware of Bitcoin. I'd heard about it once in college, wrote it off, totally missed 2017 bull run because I was just in the woods. <laughs> Came out of the woods and was like, I probably should find myself a wife. I'm not going to find it in the woods with, you know, trouble teams. So can't be spending all my time in the woods with, you know, 15 year old delinquents. And, uh, and as a result of coming out of the woods, um, right around that same time, I inherited some money from my grandmother. Um, and she like that, that money was in equities, but it was now like mine to figure out what to do with. And, uh, and I was like, well, I, I want to make this like last for myself, and my, my kids, my ultimate kids. I was not married at the time. Um, so what should I do with it? Like it's sitting in equities. Is that a reasonable thing to do? Is, should I put it in land? Should I buy gold? Like, you know, what do I do with this money? I'm used to living on literally $10,000 a year, sleeping in tents. Now I've got a little bit of money. How do I protect it? What should I do with it? And went down the stock investing rabbit hole for six months, realized the Fed was totally controlling all the markets. And at that time, they were rolling off their balance sheet. Um, so if you rewind back, this was like fall of 2018. They were rolling their balance sheet off. Bitcoin was crashing. I wasn't aware of Bitcoin yet. But I recognized the Fed was controlling markets and that was BS. So I was sitting in all cash with this, this money, um, trying to figure out like how to allocate it. I was essentially like trying to time the, the market. Um, and in trying to time the market, the primary people I discovered who were making fun of trying to time the market and that the Fed was controlling markets were Bitcoiners. And they offered this like, you know, grand vision of this super cycle. And, you know, we're going to hundred X from the, the bottom of the winter of 2019. Um, and that was really compelling. It's like, great. I, I could put all, put this money that I inherited into Bitcoin. It can make me a lot of money and I don't have to care about what the fed does. Um, so luckily sort of got in around the, or started getting interested in Bitcoin around the bottom of 2019. Um, and then, um, yeah, that first pump off the bar bottom just like sucked me in and was I, I ended up leaving my job 
I was at the time I was working actually at a prison, sort of ironically. I was working as a teacher in a prison, but I left my job. It was not a fun job. Working at a prison is not fun. And it was <laughs> listening to this is considering working at a prison. I would strongly recommend you do not. Take your advice on that. Um, I left that job and, and was just reading Austrian economics like 12 hours a day. And now it, at the time I was like, Bitcoin is going to make me filthy rich so quickly. I don't need to work, right? <laughs> and what's more interesting is Austrian economics. This, this is a fascinating field that, that really is seeking out truth, like capital T truth. Um, and so read, it, read Austrian economics, read Rothbard and Mises and Hayek 12 hours a day for two or three months. Uh, and that turned me into a, a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, coming out of that, I realized I need to make a lot more money. <laughs> so I started hustling and having like four different jobs, <laughs> door dashing, you know, like having all these part-time hustles. Um, and on the side was writing a newsletter to friends and family, trying to convince them to buy Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is the savior. Um, you got to get on board before this thing moons. Um, yeah, I like genuinely wanted friends and family to, to buy Bitcoin quickly and, and thought the train was leaving the station in the next two years. Um, this so was, aside, this was like 2019, 2019, 2020, early 2020. Um, as an aside, they, you know, I grew this newsletter, right? And I thought the point of the newsletter was to get friends and family to buy Bitcoin. Almost none of them bought Bitcoin. <laughs> during while I was writing this newsletter from for six months. Since then, many have. Um, but it's a law, it's a slower sales cycle <laughs> than I initially thought. I thought I could get everyone on board. Everyone would be reading Austrian ac- economics <laughs> 12 hours a day <laughs> and you know become Bitcoin maxis in my family within three months. That didn't happen. But they now own a little bit. Um, and the positive out- outcome of that newsletter which was active maybe six months or so, is that I had this big portfolio of writing um, that when a job came up at Swan, I was able to share my thoughts, my um, my writing ability with Brady, Brady Swenson, um, founder, one of the co-founders of Swan. Um, and he liked that writing and hired me in part-time. And, uh, and then I managed to spin it into a full-time role within a few months. So I've been at Swan now two and a half years. Um, we're coming up on three years now, actually. We started as the only agent in support. We've now grown support a medium amount. <laughs> we're still a small team and Swan's is still a small company, uh, but it's been fun to fun to be around to watch this growth. Awesome. So that's, yeah. that's the medium story. <laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting story especially the part of living in the woods for like <laughs> four years you said four years right that's yeah there were most most of those four years i spent more time in a tent than i did in a bed great time <laughs> that, that sounds awesome i'm sure a lot of bitcoiners that's like their dream as well just like living in the woods yeah with their, with their yeah. bitcoin i definitely okay. had the self-sufficiency mindset and like the simple live frugal living mindset prior and and the hatred of bureaucracy that runs deep in me <laughs> i had all that prior to entering bitcoin bitcoin's definitely changed 
you know, the way I look at politics and um, and sort of freedom. Um, but that definitely changed the way I look at, at politics a lot. But I, I was well prepped to embrace the sort of uh, simple living, frugality, and uh, and the recognition that something was a little bit wrong with our existing financial system. Yeah. So reading Austrian economics like twelve hours a day—that's that's some serious. Uh, that's serious you gave, reading. You gave, yourself yeah. a, <laughs> you gave yourself a college education. I that's did. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When I graduated college, I was very very uh, focused on, or I, I recognized that like college education had been great. I'd learned a lot and there was so much that you weren't exposed to in college. Um, so very much believe in like self-directed learning um, and that school is not the only way to learn. And as a result, I, I feel like I sort of had multiple or at least one or two like four-year degrees since college. You know, I had, I've had this crash course in, uh, in Austrian economics and economics and cryptography uh, and finance. You know, that's been like a four-year degree the last four years. And then the, my time in the woods was this crash course in Buddhism, actually. That was sort of like what I was really, really in, into. Uh, yeah, I saw that. In the woods. I saw that on your Twitter, um, you're into Buddhism. That's that's very interesting. Um, I, I, uh, I've never, I wouldn't say practice uh, Buddhism itself, but I have uh, dabbled a little bit with like, you know, Zen and um, kind of big into Stoicism, but really big into meditating and stuff like that. So that, that's really yeah, cool. That, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and so much, I mean, Buddhism is like one framework, but a lot mm -hmm. of the things that people sort of ascribe to Buddhism, like meditation, for instance, or sort of like, you know, practices around equanimity, um, like aren't, aren't siloed within Buddhism. Like most major spiritual traditions have some practice of meditation. And so um, big fan of, Big fan of all types of meditation. Awesome. Do you meditate every day? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Very, for short periods of time. There, there was a time in my life where I was meditating many hours every day. Wow. Um, and don't do that anymore, but do have short periods. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I, I used to be on a really good uh, meditation routine. Like every day, I've kind of, just with work and everything, just kind of bagged off of it a little bit. But I sometimes I, I just know I need to meditate and um anyway yeah it's super beneficial if anybody's ever tried meditating highly recommend it do you have any uh um i mean plugs for like where people should start meditating or learning to meditate or right where you are start <laughs> right where you are <laughs> wherever you are like and no that. you can't do it wrong so you know one of the common uh common complaints people have is this like self-judgment that they're meditating wrong and uh yeah just know you can't do it wrong <laughs> whatever you're doing is all right hmm. start there huh. yeah i like that okay so uh read we're filming this in march of 2023 crazy times uh a lot has been going down over the past few weeks especially in the financial markets uh big one being the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed a couple of weeks ago now. Um, so yeah, I guess just what's kind of your take on just the whole situation right now in terms of the financial system and, and I guess how Bitcoin really uh, falls into this. 
Yeah, we have, we're having a, a beginning of a financial collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the Austrians would call it like a, a deleveraging, right? Or a mm-hmm. reset. And that, that these periods of deflation, when credit, credit contracts, are actually healthy, right? Um, at least under a uh, fractional reserve system. Like the, this is what is cleaning out the malinvestment that happened during these booms. So when we drop interest rates to zero, people invest their money into things that are, are poor long-term investments. They're essentially duped into believing that um, there's more capital available than there really is. And then when you have these crashes, it's, it's the wake-up call that actually there isn't as much capital and liquidity and savings in the system as people thought there would, would be. And you have a deleveraging where all the bad investments get liquidated, they go bankrupt. Um, so from like the Austrian point of view, these uh, financial deflations are actually good, <laughs> at least under our existing system. They're, they're the, the like healthy uh, detoxification from the unhealthy stimulus that we've had prior. Um, that's not like a, a compelling narrative, though, for folks who are watching their, their banks collapse and their stock prices go down. Nobody wants to be told, like, you invested poorly and you don't have as much money as you think you have. And so it's a pretty unpleasant process, but it is really a detox. And that's like the best analogy for it is like, you know, we injected or the Fed injects like stimulants. And then these these crashes are the detox from the stimulants and they are healthy. It's an unpleasant it's not an enjoyable process, but it is cleansing. So that's like the Austrian view. <laughs> uh, in the the big pointer view is that like all of these these um, shocks to the system are potential wake up calls for people to recognize that a centrally planned monetary system doesn't work, and Bitcoin is an alternative for that. And so. Like from the Bitcoin perspective, the, you know, having banks fail is actually great marketing for us. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's so sort how... of maybe an overly positive view of what's going on. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is why Bitcoin is created, like an aftermath of the GFC. Um, and yeah, that yeah. was like beautiful advertising. I mean, it, it sounds bad, I guess, but yeah, I mean, that was really good free advertising for Bitcoin when. 16th largest bank in the world i mean in the u.s collapsed yeah collapses. uh bitcoin responded very favorably to that <laughs> um yeah and, like um, in the very short term the price responded favorably and for, like from our side we had lots and lots of customers reach out to my company asking you know what's going on does how does bitcoin fix this and like trying to deepen their understanding of of bitcoin as a solution to the problems that are being exposed in the legacy system Awesome. Yeah, I saw Corey tweeted out that following that, Swan just had, was slammed with. We were, uh, yeah, totally. We were slammed. That's awesome. Right? Like during the bull markets, the messaging is all, you know, number go up, Bitcoin can make you rich. During the bear markets, the messaging is like Bitcoin protects your wealth. It protects your wealth from scammers who are trying to steal it from you or from central bankers who are inflating it or, or you know, are, are causing these collapses in our economy. Um, and that's sort of the messaging that that resonates better in bear markets. 
yeah um <laughs> yeah i mean we could there's so much uh on that that we could talk about um a lot of other banks you know in serious trouble as well um do you have any did, did you get a chance to um follow the fmc meeting today at all or I I fortunately am no longer a Fed watcher. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> detox myself from the Fed watcher. Okay, sort nice. of know the long term trajectory. I have think I've got the long term trajectory figured out, and so I'm not particularly concerned about the short term volatility chart uh, that that results from central planners' policy. Good answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think there was a bank, there was a raise, another 0.25% or something. Yeah. Yeah. They raised another quarter. Um, yeah. It was, it was crazy. I, I was watching it and then I had like the, you know, the stock market and everything on the, in the background, seeing how it was responding. And yeah, I mean, you know, everything shot up. And then after a few minutes, everything just started tanking. So um, it, it, it was interesting. Um, there's a different school, schools of thought right now, I think, in terms of what, Powell would do. Some people kind of think that, you know, he's going to pivot soon and cave into Wall Street and everything will start going to the moon again. And then there's some other people that kind of think maybe he feels like this higher calling to um, kind of break this Fed put and actually let there be a, uh, a full deleveraging. Yeah. So <laughs> there's um, a I'm full not... deleveraging would be healthy. Yeah. But then but what, would that, what would that look like? Like everybody, I mean, that, that looks like the Fed, uh, <laughs> the Fed stops messing with interest rates, sets them at like two or 3%, um, and then does not respond with any, any adjustments to, to rate policy, nor does the US government respond with any fiscal stimulus. That's, that would result in a full deleveraging, which when that's been allowed to happen in previous cycles, Really, the last time that was allowed to happen, I think, is like 1921. 1921 was the last recession that we had in which it was just like allowed to play out without any attempt to, to correct the recession. And let those the, that one took about six months. And it was like a massive, massive drawdown in prices across all assets, including labor costs. Um, but then... Afterward, uh, asset prices are are sort of like what at the what they should be at normally, <laughs> or or what a what what like a not inflated level would be, and um, and employment at least when in the past when recessions have been allowed to just play out, employment very quickly goes back to very low levels. So it's only really when people intervene or when central planners intervene in recessions that they either get prolonged. Um, or yeah, they often, it, it just ends up prolonging them. So like, that's what happened with the great depression is it was, you had lots of intervention that prolonged the great depression significantly. Essentially prices were not allowed to fall. Labor unions were really strong. And as a result, um, like wage rates could not fall. And when wage rates cannot fall and you have deflation, you have mass unemployment. So if wage rates were allowed to fall in the depression, it would have ended much quicker, but there was a lot of uh, union strength that blocked that. Anyway, we're, we're going down some weird rabbit holes, but yeah, yeah sorry. Deleveraging uh, would be beautiful. 
I I am am a firm Austrian, and and I there are folks at Swan who disagree with me that uh, they think, you know, the Fed is sort of has their hands tied and should be always allowed to either mess with the economy or or do their best to try to block these recessions. And I'm I'm very much like a bring it on, bring the recession on, <laughs> and just let it play out. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're healthy. They, yeah, I mean, you can't always have bull markets forever um but uh yeah that's that that was a little rabbit hole that we went down but anyway um i guess before we get into the uh twitter questions I, i've got a question for you I've asked my previous two guests about this how would you it's hard to do an elevator pitch with a bitcoin but if somebody was that had little to no understanding of bitcoin how would you describe bitcoin to somebody it's uh Magic money. <laughs> Magic money. No, it's gold. It's gold that you can teleport anywhere in the world. And you and you can verify it very easily. That's probably the, the simple elevator pitch for for especially for an older audience who tends to like gold better. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Nice, nice. And... That's not that was shorter than elevator. That was like I walked in the elevator, said that, and walked out. I didn't even get to ride with the person. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So I like that. Nice, nice, concise. That's all you need. Mag- magic money. What's your What's yours? What's your elevator pitch? Pitch me. Oh gosh. Um, okay, I'm a millennial. I'm a, I'm a jaded millennial who spent four years in the woods. Why buy Bitcoin? Oh, gosh. Now, that last thing you, you threw in there is adds another layer to it. Because I'm trying to think like, okay, somebody in the woods, th- this is a little bit more. Yeah, I recognize the existing system yeah. is a little broken. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm I'm out in the woods. Yeah. Why Bitcoin? Yeah, I do think that whenever I do try to orange pill people, I try, I try to understand where people are coming from. So like, uh, you know, people... Like in your case, somebody that went to the woods because you didn't, you knew the system was broken. Like, oh, got a perfect solution for you here. It's a, you know, money that separated from state, uh, decentralized, can't be controlled um, by any authority, any government, any company. Nobody can control it. Um, it's scarce, verifiably scarce. So, um, if you're in the woods, you wouldn't have known too much about inflation, but anybody else for the past couple of years, everybody's been feeling inflation. So I'd say, yeah, you know how everything's getting more expensive right now. Well, on a Bitcoin standard over time, Bitcoin, everything would actually get cheaper in terms of Bitcoin, which is, would lead to more, uh, you know, productive society and a um, very rich society, I think, because as, you know, technology makes things, uh, as technology grows exponentially, you know, prices should be coming down, but because of the central bankers, prices artificially of everything are, are going up because of money printing and all that. So, um, and, and then if, if I was, somebody's asking me about it, you know, just in the past week or so, I'd say, oh, you know how that bank just collapsed and you, you thought your money was safe in that bank. But FTX just collapsed. Oh, okay. FTX yeah. is a crypto company, you know? Right. Yeah. So huge difference between Bitcoin and first of all, all other uh, crypto 
um, tokens or coins. And then also the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that you can self-custody it. Um, so meaning you have your keys, essentially like your password to your Bitcoin, and it's practically impossible for anybody to guess it uh, as long as you have it securely. Nobody's touching your Bitcoin. Nobody's coming for your Bitcoin. I think I saw something that was like, I think you have a better chance of winning the Powerball like 10 times or 100 times in a row or something like that than you do if you guess on somebody's private keys. So anyway, if you, if you hold your Bitcoin securely, uh, <laughs> you don't have to worry about it, it not being there. Versus if you have your Bitcoin on, you know, FTX or Celsius or BlockFi or they control your keys so they can pretty much do whatever they want with your Bitcoin and if they take excessive risk and lose money. Well, you, you know, you just lost your Bitcoin. Um, so self-custody is the way uh, that is for people that haven't really followed another rabbit hole yet. The self-custody is the part is something that's kind of hard to understand, but I think everybody goes through it, through it. Like, I feel like most Bitcoiners probably at some point, you know, had it on a Celsius or Coinbase or, or somewhere. Most people probably don't like start with running their own nodes and having, you know, multi-sig. But um, anyway, yeah, that, yeah, that was kind I of- remember I, I had a very, I had some money on Celsius, actually. I think I was, I'm listed in their creditors. I got it all off, except for like in my early shitcoining days in 2019, I had some Ethereum. I think I have like 30 cents of Ethereum as a creditor <laughs> in the Celsius case right now. I have no idea where that stands, but uh, no real interest in recovering 30 cents worth of Ethereum. But <laughs> I am on that list. <laughs> so I've been there. I've been there. Definitely. There's, I think I have like three bucks of, of Ethereum on there as well. So I'm in the same boat as you getting all these emails. Yeah. Yeah. So. At, at one point, I'd, we had some swan, um, like a team building exercise where we all sort of you know, shared, shared embarrassing things about ourselves to see if, see if anyone else had the same embarrassing thing about them. Um, and I shared that I, I had, you know, stored money on Celsius and I expected at least somebody out of the like 80 people at Swan to have also had used Celsius before we became Bitcoin maximalists. And no one, no one had, I was the only Swan employee that had ever used Celsius. I was deeply shamed by that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Corey for uh, you know saving a lot of people there. Uh, I know he yeah, was, yeah. was calling it out like I I had used everybody. it before I had ever worked at Swan and before I became a maximalist, but uh, still was surprised. <laughs> what well, what would be your response to somebody saying what's the like why Bitcoin? What you know what about these other cryptos or why can't somebody just create another Bitcoin? Why won't some other crypto be better than Bitcoin? So they can create an, another Bitcoin. The challenge is convincing people to use it. Right. And there's been a consensus that's forming around Bitcoin where people don't want to switch off of Bitcoin. It's, it's like an intransigent minority or an intolerant minority. And so you're welcome to try other cryptocurrencies but know that there is a large and growing group of people who will refuse to interact with that currency. And if you want to transact with these people online or in person, they're going to require 
that you pay them in Bitcoin. So in the long run, it probably makes sense to join that very stubborn group of people who all want to use the same currency rather than to try and go out on your own and create a new currency, which has, has little social backing. Great, great answer. <laughs> yeah. Jack Mullers was on, I think CNBC the other day and they basically asked him that same question. Like, why can't somebody just copy Bitcoin? And he's like, Google Bitcoin cash or whatever that they basically, or, you know, they, isn't that what they, they did with Bitcoin yeah, cash you can. basically? It's a, it was a hard fork. There have been many hard forks of Bitcoin. I think something like 80 and they're all failing, essentially losing value against Bitcoin because it, there's an intolerant minority of people who will not switch the rules that they follow. And they recognize Bitcoin as, as the internet currency. So you're welcome to try another option. I just don't think that it's a good use of your time, energy, or capital. And I, so I'm, I'm joining the smart folks who are... are have built this massive network, huge first mover advantage, um, and and who are very intolerant and in switching onto a different protocol. All right, so uh, I guess maybe now we can get into some of the Twitter questions from the followers. Um, did, did you get a chance to see the list I sent you? Or I did, you know? yeah. Okay, is there any that in particular you'd want to start with or? Or avoid. rip through them all, starting okay. at the top. Awesome. All right. So question. This... Oh, you want to read it? Go for it. Oh, uh, you can if you'd like, if you have it in front of you. No, no, you got it. You got it. Okay. Um, so this one comes from Gus Crypto. Uh, do you think Bitcoin has to decoupled from traditional financial markets? How ha could a bank crisis affect the Bitcoin price in the future? Okay, we'll stop there. Um, so Short term, I think that's last week it did decouple, Bitcoin price did decouple. Long term, realistically, the US dollar is a massive market, way bigger than Bitcoin currently, and likely will be for the next few years. As a result, everything is priced in dollars. So dollars are the unit of account globally, and the and the, both the supply and demand for dollars, everything is priced in that. And so, so every trade on, on sort of short timeframes, is essentially based on demand and supply of dollars on short timeframes. So everything sort of moves through these bull and bear markets together based on liquidity of dollars. Long-term, Bitcoin is, is going to be the fastest horse and outgrow everything and eventually supplant the US dollar as the unit of account globally. So it, it will decouple in the very long-term, but, but Short term, I think we're still looking at 10 more years at least of, of things being priced in dollars and moving against dollars. And, and therefore, Bitcoin will appear to, to be coupled to traditional markets, not because it's actually coupled to the S&P 500, but because both the S&P and 500 and Bitcoin are coupled to the dollar or they're priced in dollars. And so that's, that's the answer to that question. Um, yeah, does Swan Bitcoin plan to add new investment services for their customers in the future? We do. Yes. We're, um, yeah, we, we've been growing a lot. <laughs> um, so we're, we're currently, some of the things that we're launching in this coming year is collaborative custody using our Spectre integration. Um, we're looking at onboarding 
new custodians. Currently, we're, we have Prime Trust exclusively as a custodian, and we're onboarding new folks there. We're also looking at, at ways where um, our high net worth individuals who have significant equity in their homes can actually... Um, so so use home equity to buy Bitcoin. So that's something we're looking at. Um, and then expanding international offerings. So look, looking to improve our, our uh, services, particularly in Europe by offering SEPA transfers. Uh, right now we have wire funding for European clients, but, but wanting to add SEPA transfers in this upcoming year. So that's sort of the, the short-term roadmap. Um, but yeah, if you, if you wanna read a full, full roadmap, you can go on our blog and read Corey's article called It's Winning Time, which sort of outlines the plan, I think through 2025. Awesome, I'll have to check that out. I'm excited about a lot of the products you guys have coming up, uh, especially like the IRA and the, um, you know, the home equity stuff that I guess you said that was more for high net worth people, but that's, mm -hmm. that's super, super exciting stuff. Um, Okay, on to the next one. Uh, this one comes from Marcel, 039. What are your expectations related to Bitcoin adoption and how does Swan help with that? So I guess, kind of piggyback off that question, I guess, I'm not sure what time frame he's thinking of, but you kind of already talked about it a little bit, but I mean, how do you see Bitcoin adoption playing out, say over the next you know, decade and then onward? Certainly. Um... Yeah, this may seem bearish. I'm I'm expecting a move, full move globally on the Bitcoin standard in in roughly thirty years. <laughs> that <sounds laughs> That's a long transition, right? Yeah. And that that transition um, is going to be primarily driven by education and and like a demographic change over thirty years, right? As young people who are digital natives are are comfortable with digital assets will move on to that standard. And as people learn about Bitcoin, I, I when I was starting my or writing my newsletter, thought like, oh, everyone could just learn about Bitcoin in like three months. Like I learned a ton about Bitcoin in three months. Like this whole process should just take three months, right? But, and that may be true. It may, it may take three months of intense study to really understand Bitcoin, but that three months is staggered over you know, the whole population. So people will go through that learning curve at different times, triggered by different things. Some people, it'll be a banking crisis. Some people, it'll be NGU on the next uh, bull market. Some people, it'll be paying remittances and, and trying to pay remittances and finding Bitcoin as, as the solution for that. Um, so it's, it's education is what is going to get us to full adoption. Uh, education and demographic shifts will get us there. And I, I think that Swan's on the forefront of education. And so that's why I love working for us. We are, are trying to push helpful narratives of people to understand what Bitcoin is and why it matters. And uh, if they understand what it is and why it matters, they're going to be much more likely to buy and hold some. And ultimately, it's, it's going to be the buying and holding that's going to drive the price increase in the long term. Um, big fan of spend and replace and using payment Bitcoin for payments. Um, but if, if you want Bitcoin as ubiquitous payment network, everyone wants to wants or will need to want to hold the asset as their savings. And so, you know, it starts, starts with Bitcoin as savings. And, and then once 
people, everyone wants to hold Bitcoin as savings. Bitcoin as payments is is an incredible network that will that will uh, unlock a lot of potential in the economy. Um, but yeah, first step is like educating people to want to hold it for savings. Yeah, nice. A um, couple things there. Uh, what about in terms of countries? So El Salvador official currency of El Salvador right now is Bitcoin. Um, I know there's a couple other smaller countries that have kind of done the same thing. I don't know if it's official yet or do you have any, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, I guess nobody can really know unless you're behind the scenes, but do you have any um, um, theories on maybe some countries that may ad adopt it over the next few years? Or do you, do you think more countries will adopt it over the next few years? Or do you think El Salvador is just way ahead of everybody else? I think there'll be more countries that adopt it. Primarily, it's going to be dollarized countries right. that do not have their existing currency. Because if a, if a country's government has a central bank, it is very much in the interest of the government to maintain that central bank because that allows them to fund the government. Countries that do not have central banks uh, that have already been dollarized, including a lot of Latin America, um, they don't see an advantage of central banking. And in fact, the as a result of being on the dollar and having the, the US government print dollars and, and suck value out of those countries, they see only the downsides really of central banking. And so they're gonna be the ones that will most likely move onto a Bitcoin standard at the governmental level more quickly. Um, at the grassroots level, you're gonna see it in, in hyperinflating countries. So Turkey, Zimbabwe, Argentina, and like adoption there is really high. Grassroots adoption is high um, because people are trying to survive. But if, if you, like, like the central or the governmental authorities are always going to try and suppress Bitcoin adoption in those countries because it's an escape valve for their their citizens to save in a non-inflationary currency. And so, any country that adopts a Bitcoin standard, the central bank of that country can no longer easily confiscate wealth from its populace. So, that's sort of my expectation over the next fifteen years for how this plays out. Is is that um, bad central banking countries are, are going to have high adoption rates grassroots level and dollarized countries are going to have high adoption rates at the governmental level. I really agree with that. Well said. The other, other thing you said about Swan earlier that I wanted to kind of harp on a little bit is I haven't been, I haven't used Swan for too long. I actually just kind of got it to get my uh, grandfather set up with it because it's just, super easy for him to do the automatic, um, you know, purchases and everything, but nice. How did that well, go? Was it a smooth setup or yeah, he, feedback? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's liking it so far. So to get him started, I actually did the, uh, the gift. Like I sent him, uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks worth to get him just to make the account. Then yeah, sure enough. He's, he's got, <laughs> he's got like a weekly, weekly buys set up now. Yeah. That's, that's how I ended up getting my family on board is I wrote this, I wrote like six months of daily newsletters to them. None of them bought. And then I sent them a couple hundred bucks on Swan and they accepted the gift. And then a little bit later, they started buying some themselves. So that is, I, I've at least found for people that you really know and uh, and you want to start teaching about Bitcoin, the gifting, like giving them a gift of Bitcoin is a, is a good way. Yeah, once people actually have some, now they're curious about it. Yeah. <laughs> now they want to know what, what to do with it. Um, but I was going to say the, 
I don't know how regular it is, but Swan Dustin though emails kind of educational um, emails to their clients and my my, my uh, grandpa like he never reads anything I send him, but he actually read uh, he's actually read some of the stuff and he's he's called me about it. He's like, yeah, that. Um, I said, I yeah, our newsletters, our newsletters are very good and we have very high engagement on our newsletters, very high click rates um, and lots of responses from our customers and um, our email team is strong. So yeah, I think that that's, that's like the slow drip of education via email that helps convert people from no corners into, into Bitcoiners um, because they set up an account. They may not know that much about Bitcoin. They buy a little bit. But, you know, if they read a, new, a couple newsletters a year and then, you know, start engaging with us on email, they're, they end up getting sucked in. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, next question. We, we already kind of talked on this, so you can, we can skip this one or you can, if there's anything else you'd want to add. But this one comes from wake up underscore vote blue. What initially drew you to Bitcoin and when did you first enter the space? So, like I said, you kind of already talked about that a little bit. Um, yeah, got in in 2019 and uh, sort of got in for number go up reasons and also a little bit fix the system reasons. And I'm, I'm stayed in to fix the system. <laughs> exactly. I think everybody initially gets in for number go up. I mean, that's how I got in. I'd like, but again, the more you fall down the rabbit hole, you realize, oh, this is, this is actually like a serious movement happening here. So anyway, all right, I guess on to the next and, one. And, you know, Bitcoin doesn't end up 1,000xing as quickly as you think it does. And so you have to, you have to cling to something other than number go yeah. up when you're, you know, suffering through this bear market and your net worth is down 50%. You're like, I'm not in it to make money. I'm, I must be in it to fix the system. <laughs> it takes some serious conviction to hold, uh, you know, to hold through 70, 80% downturn yeah it so, absolutely does yeah. absolutely does <laughs> Bitcoin is but rewarded. it could be a different quest like when you ask that question during you know bull markets right it's it's probably like the answer is like I, yeah i'm in to get rich and get free right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> depends on what time you ask me <laughs> yeah exactly nice okay all right this question comes from alvin mark uh hi reed do you think Bitcoin will eventually become a commonly accepted media of exchange? If so, when and how can it set uh, its value by itself? Again, you already kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but the media of exchange thing is interesting. You, you said around a, I, around I think it's years? about 30 years out. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's going to be commonly used alongside dollars before that, but mm -hmm. like all, all things being predominantly priced in Bitcoin, 30 years out sure. but maybe you know maybe 15 years before we start seeing like m many businesses showing two prices or you know showing a price of in dollars but then you know having the bitcoin price or being able to easily accept accept bitcoin and in, in terms of how it can set value by itself i touched this a little bit that right now um like everything is priced in dollars and the supply and demand of dollars dictates asset prices of, of nearly everything. Um, but value, value is totally subjective, right? And, and every individual sets value for themselves. And then the market is really just a collection of individuals 
and their own value judgments. So as Bitcoin, as more people place more value on Bitcoin, the value in dollars will go up. But it, it's not that there's going to be some time period at, at which it sets value by itself. Like people are already valuing Bitcoin independently or, or, or in relation to everything else in their life. And they'll continue to do so. It's, my expectation is that they'll just increase the value that they put on Bitcoin with time. Whereas right now, many folks don't value Bitcoin at all and value dollars highly. Some folks value Bitcoin a little and, and value Bitcoin highly. And a, and a small amount of Bitcoiners value Bitcoin very highly and dollars very little. Get a phone in that account. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing that's when I'm, when I'm trying to orange pill people, the thing that is hard to get to people is the, you know, the fluctuations and people say, how could it ever be a money when it fluctuates so much? But again, it, it's a, it's a process and, you know, one Bitcoin always equals one Bitcoin. Um, if you're measuring it in dollars, you know, it's always going to uh, fluctuate. But anyway, we'll uh, get on to some other ones. Um, this one comes from uh, Bohemian Thomas. Um, when do you think big state countries will adopt the Bitcoin standard sooner than many think? Question mark. Already touched on this one a little bit as well. <laughs> uh, nope, <laughs> not sooner than many people think. Later than you at, yeah, I just think large, large nations that have their own central bank are going to be the last to formally adopt Bitcoin at the nation state level. And um, smaller countries, dollarized countries will be quicker. Um, and then countries, so it'll be dollarized countries first. And then it's countries that weren't dollarized, but then wrecked their currencies. Right. So like okay. countries that experience hyperinflation will probably adopt it at a governmental level prior to US or the UK, which I expect to go through inflation later. Just because the, the population is going to be so upset at, at hyperinflation that that um, they're going to push their governments very strongly to to adopt it. Makes sense. All right. Question comes from Zlandy. Are Bitcoin ordinals good or bad? It's like saying, is art good or bad? Depends on <laughs> ordinals. <laughs> yeah. you know, ordinals are essentially art on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, long term, I don't think they matter that much. In the short term, this is a blip in which lots of folks are are using block space to put art on the Bitcoin blockchain. I don't think we'll be talking about ordinals in five or 10 years time. It's another use of block space. I think that Bitcoin as money is going to ultimately have, or people value it more than Bitcoin as a ledger to post art, but we'll see. Yeah, I haven't been paying too much attention to that. It seems like a lot of noise, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to hear your take on it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of noise three months ago and it sort of quieted down at this point. <laughs> yeah, that is true. There's, there's bigger things to talk about now. Yeah. Um, okay. 
from Killer Flex. Yeah, this one we've already touched on a little bit. What makes Swan Bitcoin better than the other platforms to purchase Bitcoin? We're Bitcoin only and we're all about education. So you can learn about Bitcoin. And if you know a lot about Bitcoin already, we're a safe place to send your friends and family and people you want to orange pill, knowing that we will only teach them about Bitcoin and we won't feed them false or unhelpful narratives. The Bitcoin only thing I especially like because, you know, true Bitcoiners are Bitcoin only. So, you know, there's not too many companies that are in terms of exchanges that are Bitcoin only. So that, that's yeah, I think it, in the just, U.S. you can count them on one hand. Yeah, it just makes it nice and simple. Uh, not confusing. People don't have to worry about which crypto to buy. It's just Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Nice and simple. Set it up. Weekly buys. Yeah, and it, it is it is honestly dangerous sending people to a, a crypto exchange at this point because they primarily make their money off of trading fees and convincing their users to trade in and out of different cryptocurrencies. As a result, all their education is pretty high time preference focused on encouraging people or, or trying to try to tell people what, what the next big thing is going to be and then encourage them to buy it. And then as soon as they buy that, they have to encourage them to buy the next new yeah. thing. And, and every time they encourage somebody to, to hop between cryptocurrencies, they get a slice. And that business model makes money and I don't think is particularly ethical. So we don't, we don't even have a sell button in Swan <laughs> right now. Um, if you want to sell, you write to us and we can absolutely sell Bitcoin for you. But we are not trying to encourage trading in and out so that we can you know, take a little bit with every single transaction. We're instead encouraging people to buy for the long term. We know folks have life events, need to sell Bitcoin, and, and we're open to that. Reach out to us. We can sell your Bitcoin for you. Um, but we're not, we're not encouraging trading in and out of markets. Awesome. Can't think of a better place to send somebody that is just trying to get into it. Um, yeah. So, all right. This question comes from uh, Michael Eichmann. So this one is kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of my following is uh, people in other countries, Africa, India, Mexico, people all over the place. And especially a lot of people in kind of uh, kind of poorer countries that don't have easy access to, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to them for them to buy like a $120, you know, treasury ledger cold card or anything. And um, also they may just not be able to uh, buy a hardware wallet. So this question is, how do you recommend for people in Africa to custody their Bitcoin? And you can, you know, software wallets, download a mobile wallet to your phone. You can set them up within five minutes. They're free. And you can take full custody of your Bitcoin. And you yeah. can do you can do either like base chain wallets, so something mm-hmm. like a green wallet. You can do lightning wallets, um, so like Breeze. Or you can do a wallet that sort of handles both. So Moon Wallet really elegantly interacts with both Bitcoin on-chain and Bitcoin Lightning. So that's my personal favorite. But um, Blue Wallet also allows you to interact both with Lightning and Base Chain. Um, so those those would be my recommendations for people who who don't want to buy a hardware wallet. Um, software wallets are great, and and honestly, there is going to be probably 
99% of people globally should store their money on, on software wallets and only 1% should, should really be on hardware wallets. Only if you have significant tens of thousands of dollars does it really make sense to, in my opinion, to move to hardware wallets. Anything under 10 grand, store it on a software wallet. And then use the remaining $150 you would have spent on a hardware Bitcoin. wallet to buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> nice. What do you think about multi-sig? Is that, uh, do you, I guess... Um... Yeah, in that 1%, mm-hmm. 99% should be on software wallets. 1% should be on hardware wallets. Of that 1%, maybe... But maybe 10% of those folks, I think, should be on multi-sig. Gotcha. There's complexity around multi-sig. It requires you to have more, keep track of more things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's more that can go wrong. Right. Like you can very trivially with uh, a passphrase, or sorry, with, with your seed words, import that in nearly any wallet and get your Bitcoin, get access back to your Bitcoin. If you have all of your seed phrases and your wallet configuration file, you can't trivially download any Bitcoin wallet and, and recover your funds, right? It's like a much more specific processes that you have to go through. And so um, it's really useful for companies. It's really useful for people with lots and lots of money who are concerned about inheritance. And like at this stage, for the majority of people, multi-sig is overkill and, and has more potential, in my opinion, to mess things up rather than to protect their Bitcoin. They're more likely essentially to lose their, their funds by putting them in multi-sig than putting their $100 in a software wallet. Okay, interesting. All right, last question. Come from Marius Reigns. Interesting question. I guess appropriate given all the bank drama over the past few weeks, but uh, if banks were to close, how would we buy Bitcoin? Peer-to-peer. You'd, you'd, yeah. buy, it, you'd buy it through peer-to-peer channels, either in person or peer-to-peer online. Uh, yeah. So HODL, HODL, BISC, uh, local Bitcoins, I guess, just got shut down. But those, are, those would be um, sort of more centralized avenues. But then... Uh, like peer-to-peer exchanges that you set up via Telegram or Signal um, or just relationships you've built in your community. That's how you'd buy Bitcoin. Awesome. I hope hope that that doesn't happen for the next, I hope banks stay alive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it makes it much easier to buy Bitcoin for more people. But but yeah, if, if the banking sector collapsed overnight entirely, um, then the, then Bitcoin would be fine. Bitcoin would continue. People could continue to continue to exchange their fiat for Bitcoin. And if, like you said, if banks were to collapse entirely, like overnight, Bitcoiners may be the only people to to be able to transact. I mean, if everybody has their money in banks and banks collapse, yeah, and, and the people who have their dollars under mattresses, if people yeah. still. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I need, I need to look into the history of like full bank collapses and whether you, in those time periods, people still uh, still project value onto the dollars. 
or on the physical banknotes? I think they actually do because <laughs> I think they do more because when the banks fully collapse, they know that they can't print any more of them. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the banknotes become actually scarce objects right. that are like uh, known to be have a supply limit. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, I, I read that that's what ends up happening or has happened in places that had, for instance, their central bank caught on fire. I think this was Lebanon. This happened. Anyway, I'll have to look more into it. But <laughs> that, that, yeah, that'd be an interesting case, case study. But anyway, all right. Well, that's all the questions. Reed, thank you so much for, for doing this interview. I uh, really enjoyed it. I'll, I'll put your, I can put your uh, Twitter handle like in the show notes. Is there any other uh, places people should find you? Any other? Yeah, um, I'm in support. Support for Swan. You can mm-hmm. email me directly at reedwamack at swanbitcoin.com um, or follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm on Noster, but I forget my <laughs> public key. So I <laughs> won't be able to share that with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I haven't dabbled with that too much. I need to, I think I created an account, but I haven't really done much with it, but a lot of exciting stuff happening over on yeah. the Um But anyway, awesome. All right. Well, again, yeah. Thanks so much. And hope you uh, have a good one. Thank you. Have a great day. All right,